to all those of you out there who I've messed up your name in the past. Understand that it is just me. When you can mess up your own staff member's name, Walters, and call it Waters, you can mess up any name. I am legendary for messing up names. Judy says it's my kryptonite. But uh, if I were a comp computer, I have some serious glitches. Of course, I'm also the one who wrote a sweet Valentine's note card to my wife and signed it Pastor David. Just because I'd signed so many other letters that day, Pastor David. So, uh, good humbling for a sermon is good. I want to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious word to Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22 this morning. I'm just going to read one of those verses and we're going to work through this entire section together. It's a portion of scripture I've been, that's been on my mind for about half a year and I'm excited to open it up to you today. I want to invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of God's perfect and precious word. And as we stand on this long to hear the word of God preached, to worship the living and true God, may we be abundantly thankful for the way God has blessed us and the opportunity that we have to be here. I was just reading this week about a church under persecution who has to meet at a different place every single week because the authorities are trying to keep them from worshiping God. So at best, what we are experiencing is an inconvenience. And yet God has blessed us with the resources of this property to be able to be here and to gather together. Genesis chapter 28, I'm simply going to read verse 15 and then pray for God's mercy. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we offer this time to you. We are a needy people and you are a gracious and giving God. We are a people who struggle in many ways. And Lord, we need you. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Thank you that you are the with us God through Jesus Christ. Help us to understand better what that means today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. His very name Jacob meant he grasps or he cheats. We find out in the Bible in Genesis 25, 26, that as he was coming out of the womb with his brother Esau, that he came out holding on to his brother Esau's heel. In Genesis 26 through 28, the chapters prior to the one we're looking at this morning, we find out that he would trick his own brother into receiving his birthright in his brother's place. And even beyond that, we find out that Jacob is one who would take advantage of his elderly father who was blind. And he would trick his father into cheating his brother out of the blessing his father was to give him by pretending to be his brother. As we look at our text this morning, his mother has encouraged him to flee. Encouraged him to flee because Esau's wrath is upon him, his brother wants to right the wrong that he has experienced. And his father also has told him to leave 
and to go find a wife from his mother's ancestral home. And so here is Jacob, this one who has deceived, this one who has tricked, this one who is cleverness has served himself, who has a birthright and a blessing. And yet in reality, he's all alone. He's empty handed. He's headed to a place that is not his own. And all of his shrewdness, all of his uh, cleverness, all of his self-reliance has brought him what appears to be at this time nothing. It seems that he's learning the limits of what self-centered cleverness can do. It seems that he's learning the limits of what you can provide for yourself in your own strength by putting yourself first. He's learning the limits of what relying only in himself will bring him. And as we look in this narrative this morning, it flows in a particular way and it's full of word pictures. We see in verses 10 and 11, the first couple of verses, when a stone pillow, there's an image here of a stone pillow that's powerful that'll be transformed by the time we get to the end. But verses 10 and 11, I've titled, When a Stone Pillow. Look with me at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. You see, here Jacob is already a ways from home. He's alone. He's not with his family. He's empty-handed. He has a birthright, but nothing to show for it. He had to be asking himself, blessed by God? What does this blessing even mean? If my life is like this, what does it mean to say that I received a blessing? You see, his life was a mess. It was a disaster. Who wants to be alone? Who wants to be empty-handed? Who wants to be severed from everyone they know? Who wants to be a fugitive on the run? And yet this is where he finds himself. But the language here in this text paints a picture for us of just how desperate Jacob's situation really is. Look at verse 11. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Did you notice where he was? He was at a certain place. The Bible almost always gives us the particular place. But it seems that Jacob here is in a place that doesn't matter. It's in a place that is not marked by significance. It is not by a large body of water. It's not an important place place it is not a place that people flock to it's in the middle of nowhere it's just a certain place it's not a destination type of place in fact the story is telling us that jacob finds himself after he's left his home in a nowhere place but not only that it gives us this picture of the sun setting of it getting dark he's in a nowhere place and it's getting dark and then it tells us this, that he takes one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Well, why would you use a stone as a pillow? There's only one reason I can think of. You've got no other choice. There have been a few times when I've been laying down outside and thought maybe a stump under my head would be good. I don't know that I've ever laid my head on a stone. 
But you would not lay your head on a stone if you have a bag full of stuff. If you have something soft, that would be a makeshift pillow. The only reason you would lay your head on a stone is because you have no other choice. Here is Jacob in a nowhere place. Here is Jacob in the midst of a place that is getting dark. And here is Jacob, and he's putting under his head a stone for a pillow. You see, the writer powerfully paints this picture of Jacob. This picture of Jacob at a desperation point. This picture of Jacob in a disastrous situation. This picture of Jacob where even though his cleverness, he thinks, has wrenched something out and given him a blessing, he appears to be anything but blessed in this situation. Empty-handed, dark, a stone for a pillow. This is where his self-centered cleverness had brought him. But didn't he have a birthright? Wasn't he blessed by Isaac? What does blessing mean? What did it mean? What does it mean? You can only imagine as he laid his head on his stone pillow, thinking about his life and where his choices had led him. There had to be a measure of self-pity. There had to be a measure of, but I thought I would be blessed, and now I find myself here. It's often that we find ourselves in places where we never thought we would be. It's often as we struggle through life in this world that we find ourselves in situations and we say to ourselves, I never thought I would end up here. I never thought I would be here. This was never my plan. This is not what I intended. And that's where Jacob finds himself at this time. But I want you to see in verses 12 through 15, there's all of the sudden an intrusion into this narrative. Here's a particular man in a particular place who's done particularly bad things in a particularly difficult situation. And then all of a sudden, the intrusion in this story is God. You see, there is a with you God. When a stone pillow, because of the with you God, we're going to see become something else. But right now, look at the intrusion into the story. Verse 12. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder, that, not a great translation there, ladder, it's, it's more like a, a staircase or a stairway. Think of a ziggurat going up and there are stairs going up. There was a ladder or a stairway set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, this picture here of this, this stairway that goes from heaven to earth, this picture here of God's messengers going up and down, these angels of God are literally just that, God's messengers. Now, to understand this, you've got to flush out of your mind all of the hallmark images of angels. You've got to flush out all of your mind all of the TV images of angels. You got to not think about your angel precious moments figurines. 
You've got to put all of that aside and realize that the, these messengers are God's messengers. And the most common response to them in the Bible when they are present is fear not. There's a tendency to have fear in their presence. Why? Because they are messengers from God. They possess a sense of the royal majesty of God. They have a sense of the glory of God upon them. They are representatives of the king. They are connected to the one who has utmost authority. And they are going up and down this letter. Why? Because God is communicating from heaven to earth. God is providing a way from heaven to earth. You see, this picture here is powerful. And we are reminded that, that Jacob had been seeking a blessing. But... He had not been seeking God, the blesser. That's not just a problem with Jacob. Many of our thoughts about God are merely thoughts about the gifts of God and not God. But God is not to be used, He is to be worshipped. God is not to be used, He is to be trusted. And there are amazing blessings from God. But the issue is always God. The issue is always the God who is with us, as we're going to see. You see, for Jacob, God to him was at most uh, the family God. This ran in his family. Abraham was his grandfather. Isaac was his father. So this God, this Lord, this Yahweh was the family God. He was the God of his granddad, the God of his father. And yet something different is happening here. Jacob has a moment where he has to make a decision. You know, when my kids uh, leave home, uh, one of the things I always tell them is that you're going to find out who you are. You have a lot of borrowed beliefs, a lot of borrowed convictions. But you've got to find out whether or not they are going to become your convictions, your belief. Because the truth is, you can go do whatever you want. When Luke, the first one, moved out of the house, I said, listen, you're grown, you're an adult, you can do what you want. If you want to sit in your dorm room and, and smoke dope all day, you can do it. You might get kicked out of school. I won't like it. I hope you get arrested if you do. I don't think you will. But understand, you have this freedom now. You're going to find out who you really are. Jacob is at such a moment. He's going to find out. You see, Jacob has been one who has been around all of this. He has heard all of this. But now it's time for him to embrace it or to walk away. But I want you to see something else here. I want you to see that our hope here is in God's grace. Because one thing the text tells us, it is not Jacob here who turns to God. It is God who turns to Jacob. This is a story not of Jacob all of a sudden shaking himself and getting wise and smart. This is a story of God's grace. God's sovereign mercy. God coming down to man. Not Jacob figuring it out and climbing up to God. All of our hope is ultimately in God's grace. 
We don't hope in formulas. We don't hope in our own ability with our own lives or with our children's lives. Our hope is in God's grace. But understand this, God's grace is there. There is no situation that is hopeless with God. God can always come down. God can always pour out His grace. Look with me at verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Now, the Lord stood above it. Now, this is a hard word to translate. It can mean a couple of different things in different places. But the idea is the presence of God. I think the best translation here is the Lord stood over him. That is over Jacob. The idea is he is with him. He is beside him. The, the translation that best fits with the overall context that God has come to him. God is personally speaking to him. That God is present. He is with him. You see what happened here? God has come down the staircase. Do you know how important that is? There are a dime a dozen religious systems that will give you a path to climb the staircase to God. They all lead to the same place, damnation. The message of Christianity is totally unique. God comes down to us. We don't climb the staircase to God. We can't. He comes down to us. It's an amazing picture that He gives us here. He is present. He is with Him. And notice He's personalizing this for Jacob. When He says, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the one who will give this land on which you lie to your offspring. He's saying, Jacob, you, by my grace, are going to be an inheritor of these blessings. He's implying here that Jacob is now to add his name to the promise. And we see that later in the Bible. It starts showing up not as Abraham and Isaac alone, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a testimony of God's grace. Jacob, I have come to you, and I am linking you to the covenantal promise of God's grace, the, the good news. You are a part of this story. You will inherit these blessings. Notice verses 14 and 15. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. It's a quotation here of what was said to Abram, who becomes Abraham in Genesis 13, 16. And then there's a newness to what God is revealing to Jacob. Verse 15, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Do you hear this? All of this is perfectly fit for the situation that Jacob finds himself in. All of this is perfectly fit for Jacob's need. Jacob was alone. Jacob was on the run. Jacob had no wife and children. Jacob was away from his family. Jacob had nothing. Jacob was nowhere. 
Jacob had no reason to believe God would or even could use him. And God says, I am with you and your offspring will be to the ends of the earth in all directions. Here a guy out in a certain place in the middle of nowhere laying his head on a rock has God come to him and to say, your life is going to impact the world. You are going to be with me forever. That's the message. The, the new part of what he has said here is that the promise has been clarified that was given to Abraham. The promise is clarified to a greater degree that is given to Isaac. And it's clarified ultimately, fully and finally in the Lord Jesus. But here he says, I am with you, my presence. That's the issue. You feel alone. I am with you. Then I will keep you. That's protection. You feel defenseless. Here I am. I will keep you. And then you feel like you have nothing. Let me tell you the promise of future blessing. I will not leave you and I will give you what I have promised. You will not be empty handed. You will not be defenseless and you will not be alone. This is the I am with you, God. You see, the answer to all of these things is the very presence of God. The biblical story is a story of God's commitment to give himself to his people, to be with them, not to be distant, but to be with them from the very beginning of God's presence in the garden to the fall into sin and the, the separation to God's promise of a child that will crush the head of the serpent and God speaking to his people and God having symbolic places that represent his presence. And ultimately, God coming in the presence of the Lord Jesus, the one who came as the temple himself, the God with you, the God man. God has always been doing this. This is always the answer. You see, this is not about getting things from God. It's about living in the presence of God, which is the best thing anyone could ever have. Let, 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 think about it like this. If I had my kid over here and I said, one of my kids, and I said, let's say one of my younger kids. And I said, man, write down on that list. Ten things that you would think, man, if, if this happened, this would be the best. You know what? If you're a little bit more mature, you would look at that list and say, these things seem silly. A lot of them. There's a childishness, there's an immaturity, there's an inability to see past the moment. There's the, the idea that these little temporal things are what matters most. And yet, when you get older, you start seeing what really matters. Well, all of us before God are but children. Do you see that? What your children need is not for you to give them everything that they say they need on a list. They need your presence. They need you to love them. They need you to be committed to them. And what you and I need is not God to answer our top ten list of things that are, we think it would be best that way. We are to delight and trust in the presence of God. We are to say, I am a fallen sinner in a world full of sin, and yet God is with me. You see, that changes everything. Somebody who believes that and knows that and understands that doesn't run around hand-wringing about the circumstances of the world. 
They care about those things, but nothing changes the withness of God for his people. This is reiterated throughout the Bible. God with us is our only hope. God is not remote. God is on the move. God is with us. We see him by faith and we experience him by faith. And that leads to the end of this section where the whole thing gets put together like this. When a stone pillow, because of the with us God, becomes a stone pillar. You see, God's capable of doing this. Got to lay my head on this stupid stone. This is the worst. It's uncomfortable. What changes that? The with us God who comes, and now that very stone becomes a pillar, a sign of God's grace, a symbol of God's favor, a place of worship, not of the stone, but of the with us God who is present in the midst of it all, even when we have to sleep on stone pillows. Do you see how beautiful it is? It becomes a stone pillar. Look at verse 26. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. All of the sudden, Jacob, who laid his head on this stone pillow, is now awake and he knows that God, in fact, has been there. That this is the God of Abraham. This is the God of Jacob. And this is the God that though Jacob knew of him, he did not know him. Even though Jacob knew of the things that he is reported to have done, Jacob did not live in his presence. He says, I did not know it. But you see, the presence of God is transformative. Jacob did not live by faith in the presence of God. And yet now he knows this is God who is here. And verse 17 follows, and he was afraid. It's a normal reaction to the presence of God. And he said this, how awesome, our better translation, how fearsome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. That, that certain place in the middle of nowhere, that place on the ground with a stone pillow is now the house of God. It's the place where he understands that God dwells. Not just there, but yes, there. And this, he says, is the gate of heaven. And that takes us back to that staircase. You remember the Tower of Babel? The attempt to build this tower up to God, they said, to make a name for themselves, built to reach the heavens. These, these ziggurats would, would be temples of worship, and there would be a, a part of them where the idea was that you walk up the staircase to get to heaven. You walk up the staircase to God. These ziggurats would be built in important places where people in these important places could see that this was the pathway. And yet here, a certain place that has been transformed only by the presence of God that is now the house of God. It is the presence of God that brings the gate of heaven. It is the presence of God that makes a way. Only this one is from heaven. Only this way 
is a way where God comes to us and is with us. It is not steps to God. It is God coming to us. That is where the gate is found. Look at verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. That means he anointed it. He set it apart as a a symbol of the presence of God. He poured oil on top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God or dwelling of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Notice what happens here. You can go because God shows up, because of the presence of God. You can go from this stupid rock, this pillar that represents God's grace. You can do that as well. That can happen for you. Only God can change a stone pillow into a stone pillar that symbolizes His grace. But God indeed can do it. You see, the communication here is that wherever Jacob is, he is with God. So that place is the house of God. This God who is with you. Jacob would talk like this the rest of his life. In Genesis 35, verse 3, he says, He has been with me wherever I have gone. In Genesis 48, 15, he says, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. You see, God can do this. Then he goes on in verse 20 through 22 to make a vow. Now, now you've got to understand these vows. This is not a bargain with God. This is rather his declaration of what God has already said that he will do for him. So he's speaking the truth of the promises of God back to him, and he's committing by faith to walk in line with those promises. Look quickly at verses 20 through 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, which God told him he will, and if he will keep me in this way, which he told him he will, that I go to and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, promise to bring you back into the land, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Do you see this? Do you feel it? Are you gripped with a sense of wonder? That in one moment it can be this stupid rock. Then God's presence can be there. And it can be this sign of God's grace? Does that strike you with a sense of awe? We are so needy of His presence. We are so needy of experiencing the with-us-ness of God. Those who are in Christ are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We're given the Word of God. And by the way, the allusions to this account keep showing up in the Bible. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 1.23, talking about Jesus, says, They shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then we get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and what do we have? Beginning in verse 19 of chapter 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, to the ends of the earth, the north, the south, the east, and the west, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And what's the promise? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That was the promise to Jacob. And that is the promise to us. Why that promise? Because it changes the way we live. He is with us. That changes everything. It's transformative. The with usness of God. If you say, God is not with you, you're saying something about you, not something about God. By faith, He is with us always. And just like He promised Jacob to the end of the age. But it also shows up in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, toward the end of the chapter, there's a count where uh, Philip found Nathanael. And he goes and he says, listen, we found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets talked about. We found Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I wonder, can anything good come out of a certain place with a rock pillow? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip says, come and see. And when he gets there, Jesus says of Nathanael, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus ends that encounter by saying this. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Did you hear that? On the Son of Man. Now we have the picture clarified. Christ Himself is the steps. Christ Himself is the way. Christ Himself is the gate. The going from heaven to earth is dependent upon Christ you will see the angels of God descend, ascending and descending on the Son of Man, on Jesus. He is with us. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the gate. He is the only way to heaven. In Him alone is there eternal life. You see, the presence of God, the ability to turn stone pillows into stone pillars, and you know when that, where, that can, where that can happen? In any place. You know who it can happen to? Any person. In any situation. And one more thing I want you to see. You know what it does? When we meet His grace, when we're aware of His presence, when we walk in His presence, the transformation that happens is He turns us into our true selves. We are created to worship Him. We're created to honor Him. We're created to glorify Him. We are created not to live in the fear of man, but
but rather the worship of God. And now Jacob is liberated because he has the real blessing, the presence and grace of God. So guess what he doesn't have to do anymore? He doesn't have to wear a costume and try to get something on his own. And neither do you. Only in Christ can you ever take all the mask off and throw them in the garbage and know who you are meant to be. Only in Christ. I wonder, do you know His presence? Have you put your faith in Him? Today is the day of salvation. We're not promised another moment. Trust Him. Follow Him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this incredible portion of Your Word. Lord, and I thank You that You have come down to us for it is our only hope. Oh Lord, I pray for those today that put their faith in Christ for the first time. I pray for all of us to regain a sense of clarity, to live in the light of the freedom that is only there in Jesus Christ, the one that who for us is the steps, is the gate, is the way, is the life, now and forever. And Lord, we thank You that You can turn stone pillows by Your presence into stone pillars that will speak of Your grace for eternity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.